This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? This is the Talking Tactics Podcast. My name is Daniel. Half hope it's under the weather, but we have a cool guest, somebody who I've wanted on the podcast for years, I think. We got Zach Lowy, known for breaking the lines, one half. Shout out to the guy Thomas, I think it is, who's the other half. How you doing, Zach? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me on. Real pleasure to be on the Talking, Talking Tactics Podcast. So uh, super excited to be discussing uh, the events that we have in store. And yeah, really excited to be on. Before we get started, let everybody know where where they can find you, where your work is, etc. You can find me at Zach Lowy, Z-A-C-H-L-O-W-Y uh, on Twitter, as well as BTLVid, uh, Breaking the Lines. We've got BreakingTheLines.com, which is a lot of great stuff on football. Um, and I personally have a few articles coming up this week that you can check out there. So definitely check out BreakingTheLines.com. Indeed, all the links are going to be in the description, so I encourage everybody to go check it out. As much as our podcast is called Talking Tactics, if you really want like tactical breakdowns and you want to know who the next young wonder kid is, and you're wondering like what is Ralph Ragnick up to at United, how is Thomas Tuchel doing this at Chelsea, like breaking the lines is where you want to go for for that kind of in depth analysis. It's a really good site. I remember when you guys were like breaking lines. And then your your Twitter account got taken down. Yeah. And then y'all had to remix it. Like they've been through a lot. And like to see y'all going from levels to levels, like is is really cool. So I'm I'm proud of you guys, even though like we don't know each other, like we know each other in like yeah. Twitter. So that's There's a mutual respect. Indeed, indeed. Um, so you can follow us at Talking Tactics on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You guys know the drill. If you're listening on Spotify, give us a follow. If you're on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, it's free. Leave us a five-star review and we'll read it on the show. Um, if you want to check us out on Patreon, we're probably going to have to post a throwback this week. That might be cool. I don't know what we're going to post, but it's going to be something good, so you'll like it. Let's get into this. I would want to start with the games themselves, but yeah. I think we should probably start with like the COVID postponements. What is your kind of reading on whether or not these games should have been played if we're looking specifically at the Premier League? Because it seems like this yeah. new variant is hitting England quite hard. Do you think games should have been played? Like, was it fair for some of these games to take place, whereas other teams seem to have got a little bit of a reprieve? I definitely feel for Leeds. 
you know, and, and that's something that I don't always say. You know, I'm, I'm far from the biggest Leeds United supporter, but uh, if there's any team that I feel bad for, I think it's Leeds because they had, what, I think nine, eight uh, available players due to illness, which, you know, is, is, is part, or not due to illness, due to injury. Um, mm. I think some players maybe were ill, but, but they have one of the highest vaccination rates in the entire league, and they didn't have any issues with COVID for the most part, unlike other clubs. But, you know, because, like, a hamstring injury is not contagious or, like, a, a knee sprain, you know, then they were not – I think they got the shorter end of the stick. But, yeah, it is I, – I do think that the, the holiday fixtures are going to go on as planned. I think there's just too much money at stake. And same thing with, with the NBA, honestly. I think, I think a lot of Premier League sides have had better luck than Leeds, to be honest. I think they've suffered the most, probably. Certainly a few other clubs, such as Chelsea, you know, who, who have definitely suffered with COVID. It definitely does seem like it's been hitting them. I guess it's not super related, but it's just funny to me how we are, what, two years into the pandemic, almost two years, and yet uh, we still don't really know how to find a way to deal with COVID. And yet, you know, at the same time, we are hearing more and more momentum for a World Cup every two years. And it's just it's just mind-boggling. <laughs> I just can't really fathom it. Obviously, uh, football is, is going to, you know, defer to greed 99% of the time, but it's just so mind-boggling to me that, you know, we can't even figure out how to deal with this pandemic, especially the Premier League. You know, they've, they've been far worse than any other league. We're, we're just circulating this crazy notion of a World Cup every two years, just continuing to gain momentum. Is it gaining momentum? Like most most of the time I'm seeing it, especially like Arsene Wenger comes out and says we yeah. need it two years because we're trying to promote the game. It's it's for the children, all this kind of stuff. Right. I'm seeing mo- most people dunk on it, but it's like the, yeah. the act of dunking on something promotes the idea even further. Yeah. To where it, it, it normalizes something that people hate. Look, this is an African podcast, okay? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm you get it, half host Nigerian, Carl's got name. Now, Carl has has his hangups with Seth Blatter, okay? Okay, you know, yeah. cor- corruption. Ever. But half hope and I have been like, look, he put a World Cup in Africa. Like, where, yeah. e- even if it's South Africa, we have our issues with South Africa in many ways. It's still a World Cup in Africa, so so we have this kind of soft spot for Seth Blatter. But you know, people say he's like the most corrupt dude ever in the history of ever. Yeah. Even he didn't try to put a World Cup every two years. Take this to his logical conclusion, Zach. FIFA's right. a corrupt organization. The yeah. World Cup is arguably the biggest single sporting event. It probably, I don't even have to say arguably. It's the biggest single sporting event on the planet. You're trying to double the amount of times we do that? So right. aren't you, in fact, doubling the opportunity for corruption? And look, people always forget this. I mean... One of the biggest reasons why, well, okay, maybe not one of the biggest reasons, but definitely a major reason why the World Cup is the biggest sporting event in the world is the fact that it's only four years, you know? Like, okay, I enjoyed the Copa America, but I was way more interested in the Euros, you know, because that was the first time in five years that we were seeing it, whereas the Copa, pretty much every two years at this point, you know, every three years, and it's like Mm -hmm. that rarity um adds value like like anything in the world you know absence makes the heart grow fonder kind of deal yeah exactly exactly so i don't think it's any secret that the euros was a lot more popular and a lot more you know exciting than than copa just because of that that people had kind of gotten tired 
maybe not tired, but they had gotten used to the Copa, whereas Euros were every four years. And I think the same logic will apply to, to the World Cup. It applies to everything. I mean, it applies to, you can go to like elections in the United States. You know, there's elections pretty much every year and people get tired. It's called election fatigue. It's been proven in several political studies that, you know, that's a big reason why a lot of Americans don't go to the polls. I guess Have Hope calls it dot or the the degree of difficulty. Right. That you only get this certain amount of World Cups. If you're injured, tough luck. If you're out of form, tough luck. But it comes once every four years. And the great players step up in those occasions and get done what needs to be done. If you give them even more opportunity, it does take away from that degree of difficulty element that I've I find a compelling argument. I know some people don't like it because Messi, Ronaldo fans, et cetera, et cetera. And like half hope gets painted with that brush, but that argument is is very compelling to me. So the more that the more world cups you have, the less prestigious it becomes. Yeah. And also, I mean, talking about moving the goalposts, you know, Pele's record of, of what winning three world cups, that is something that a player winning three world cups in a six year period. Okay. It's impressive. But it's not the same as as what Pele did, you know? Mm -mm. The World Cup, really, FIFA and football in general uh, struck gold with the World Cup, you know? And to just go and try to to devalue it, you know, it's sort of like uh, you've struck oil and now you're just going to try to, you're going to try to mine all that oil, like right now. And eventually you're going to use it up. If they devalue it, 49%. Right. Like, like let's say if every four years, and we do it too, if we devalue it 49%, even though it might be devalued, we'll still make more money, even if people right. aren't as interested because it's happening more frequently. And they're not going to devalue it by 49% because you, I, everybody listening to this is still going to watch the World Cup, and they know it. It's the right. same way that the Premier League can play these games. In an ideal world, I wouldn't have watched the games this week because I would have been in my mind protesting against why are they even out there. But I'm addicted. We're all addicted. I do a whole football podcast. You run a whole football website. We're not going to stop watching, and they know it. Even if it comes down 5 10% of people don't care about the World Cup anymore, they're still going to make, what, 40 50 60 more percent money in that four-year period than they would have otherwise? Right. It's the money doing what the money will do. Exactly. You, you were saying that you felt bad for Leeds. Arsenal won 4-1, I think it was. What is your kind of opinion on the, the Arteta project and the, the young kids, the Emil Smith-Rose, the Martinelli's, the Sakas of the world? Uh, yeah, Arsenal are, are looking good. I mean, obviously, they've had their, their fair share of disappointing performances. But uh, overall, I mean, I think there's definitely a lot of positives to take from this season. It's definitely the younger players who are giving a lot of positives not only that but but the transfers that have happened I think there's definitely looking at the transfers it's been rare that Arsenal have had a window with as many positive reinforcements as they did this past summer I mean Aaron Ramsdale I was very skeptical of his signing especially with the money but uh, he's been very good in goal definitely providing an upgrade on Burn Leno and not just ability on the ball but also like some shot stopping reflexes, uh, claiming crosses. You know, he's been very good in goal. So I, I've been impressed with him. Takahiro Tomiyasu, I think, mm-hmm. has been, you know, a player who a lot of people didn't expect much of. But uh, I, I've been a fan of him for quite some time. I remember watching him for Japan 
in a international tournament a few years back. Um, and he always impressed me for Bologna. So doing very well at, in that right back position. I think there's definitely a lot of similarities made with him and Pekari Sanya. So yeah, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of reason to be optimistic as an Arsenal fan. You know, obviously an, a, a Leeds team with what eight or nine senior players is not really the barometer to to judge yourself on. But right. you look at like some Martin Odegaard, you know, getting into really good form. Bukayo Saka, another strong performance on the right flank. Uh, Gabriel Martinelli. Funny to to think that you know if if Peter Emmerich Aubameyang had not really got himself banished from the first team squad. You might not be seeing this, but, you know, doing very well after finally getting some consistent opportunities. So, yeah, it does seem like they've found a good balance at Arsenal. A lot of a lot of reason to be optimistic, for sure. I should have asked this at the very beginning, but who do you support? Like, who's who's your team? Because like, people know I have this begrudging relationship with Chelsea. <laughs> but who's 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 your team since, like, you were a kid? Man, it's it's tough. I used to sort of like Barcelona. I'll be honest, man. I've I've barely watched. I've watched very few Barcelona games this season. It makes sense. Well, I don't know. I I honestly have maybe watched like four Barcelona games this season. I don't. I, I don't know. It's just it's just weird. I would say Famali Cal. Honestly, I've watched a lot of Famali Cal games. Uh, they're a really interesting Portuguese team. I I tend to support. A lot of the smaller Portuguese sides, honestly, mm-hmm. um, looking past the big three. I, I watch a lot of Smalikau, Estoril, Gil Vicente. I would say those teams I like a lot because they're very unique. I was going to save this for the end, but what's, yeah. what's, what's the attraction with Portuguese football or just Portuguese culture? I mean, I've been following Portuguese football for quite some time. Um, and I think it's just, it's just a bit of everything. I think that one you always get some good title races. You know, it's rare that you'll see one team walking it like you do with the Bundesliga, for example. And also, I mean, just so many so many incredible players who have come through this league just solidified themselves as, as top talents and then gone on to bigger things. You're looking at Falcao, James Rodriguez, Ruben Diaz. You know, it just goes on and on and on. For me, I've always been attracted to that league and and yeah, I'm trying to do that to 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 put on more analysis with my Cortalinas podcast, my weekly podcast on Portuguese football. So yeah, I've always I would say it's definitely one of my favorite leagues. Is and, that podcast in English or in Portuguese? Yeah, it is in English. Okay. Port- I've done a few Portuguese podcasts, but I don't know if my Portuguese is good enough to do a weekly podcast. I mean, Portuguese. I've seen you do interviews. Like, your Portuguese, yeah. <laughs> it's good enough. Like, you, you, can, you can make it run. So, yeah, I was like, damn, he can actually speak that. <laughs> yeah. Is, is, is that the only romance language that you have a mastery or understanding of? Or are you good with French, I would Italian? Say my Spanish is better than my Portuguese, actually. Okay. Um, my Italian is decent, but not quite Portuguese either. <laughs> So yeah, my Spanish and Portuguese, I would say I'm both. I'm fluent in both. Yeah, I have yeah. like rudimentary French. Like if I if I went to Paris, I wouldn't die. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't know if I could like get a house. Anyway, so I, I was intrigued by your Portugal thing. You know, <laughs> yeah. my, my affair with it. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, yeah. you know some people have these attachments to. I, I know some people like they're really into like the Greek league. Or some people will be into like whatever's going on in the Russian Premier League or just like not the and, and, and to be fair, Portugal was 
up until recently, like a top five league. I know like France might have come back and got the fifth spot again, but like Portugal isn't like that. But you know, people who like are really into the Dutch league for whatever reason because they like the style of play or the clubs or the history of Ajax or PSV or whoever the case may be. So it's always cool when you meet people who like their interest doesn't necessarily lie or completely lie in the Premier League, Serie A, Champions League, La Liga. Like you have people who are more varied in their kind of footballing love. Even people who like watch MLS or the A-League in Australia, the J-League. It's always interesting when you meet people who like have an expertise in something that's not as common, you know, yeah. at, at least mainstream. Absolutely. Yeah, you know what? This is almost perfect because Wolves are kind of like Portugal North. <laughs> and blending these two things together, Chelsea are another team that were COVID struck and Chelsea asked for the game to be postponed until a later date. But the Premier League was like, you have enough players. I think they had five or six players on the bench. Two of them were goalkeepers and they had to play the game. Wolves have been pretty decent this year and making it tough against the the would-be big boys. You know, uh, I think they lost 1-0 against City, lost 1-0 against Liverpool, Lost maybe one nil against Manchester United, if if memory serves. Um, yeah. So they're they're not an easy team to play. That even if Chelsea had their full full strength squad, it still was going to be work. Um, right. But not having that caliber of talent and kind of having to go into the Sauls of the world and all this kind of thing, it was made more difficult. Yeah, I can definitely see why uh, Thomas Tuchel would be upset, given the fact that there are so many other. Teams that games were suspended. Chelsea had what I think seven players out with COVID, uh, playing with you know N'Golo Conte at like sixty percent. Conte was was actually I would say one of their better players. And I mean obviously other players out. Ben Chilwell out with injury. Um, so it's clear that they're getting down to the bare bones of the squad. And I think that um. You know, in, in fairness, I mean, looking at Chelsea's performance against Everton, maybe even with a fully fit squad, maybe they would have struggled against uh, Wolves. I think this was, you know, the latest in, in a, a very worrying run of form for Chelsea. Obviously, um, their squad has been massively depleted with injuries. But in right now, looking at it, you've got, uh, you know, drawing two Wolves at Molyneux, Drawing to an Everton side that has been pretty poor, narrowly beating Leeds with a few penalties. Drawing Zenit when, you know, in my opinion, they, they should have they should have lost that game, losing to West Ham, narrowly beating Watford. And so yeah, since that Juventus game, it's been fairly uh shaky looking at this Wolves game. I mean another another game where they they didn't really deserve to win. Perhaps they you know, they did have more chances. I think they had far more possession and far more shots. I never really felt like they came close to testing them. Part of that was the balance. You know, trying to shoehorn Pulisic into a false nine roll did not really work. But in fairness, they didn't really have many other options. I don't know who who they would have played instead of Pulisic at the false nine roll. You know, maybe maybe Mason Mount, but at the same time, I'm not sure if, if he would have done any better um, yeah. in that false nine roll. It is kind of hard to blame Tuchel, but it's it's one point missing what seven players against the Wolves side that pretty much set out to to defend for most of the game. But uh, yeah, not many positives from Chelsea right now. I gotta say, and I think despite having 
like a lot more shots. I think they only had one shot on target, which just shows you know how much how how disappointing it was. Apart from Conte, I really can't think of many players who had uh, good games against Wolves. I thought that Aspilicueta was very average. I thought Saul had a good game by his standards, but <laughs> like four out of ten or a five out of ten. So like you know, improvement, like, improvement, it's improvement. The thing about Saul is you know he came on for what I think he came on for Chalaba at halftime, right? And um, he started off doing fairly well. I thought that like the first ten minutes after halftime were probably Chelsea's best of the entire game you know, flowing the ball from one side of the pitch to the other, and I thought Saul played a big part of it. And then kind of as the game progressed, Saul really, you know, did not take any risks whatsoever. You'd see him, like, with a chance to pass forward, and he just, like, pass back to Rudiger, pass back to Vespa It just, I mean, how can you... I know that Saul go, leaving Atletico and, and going to the Chelsea, going to Chelsea was... was Part of that was to get a change of scenery, but also part of it was to play in his traditional position of a central midfield. But how can you be a central midfielder if that's what you're doing? You know, just like constantly passing back to the center backs when uh, when when your team needs a goal. I mean, he's been absolutely terrible, I gotta say, and I don't think there's any chance whatsoever uh, that Chelsea are going to try to extend his loan. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> if if they could, I think they they'd send him back in January. But I don't think they can. Yeah. You mentioned halftime. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> so like like so, sometimes I I have this temptation when the game is just bad. Like I'll just I want to turn it off. So I'll get to the first forty five minutes and then I'll go do something else. <laughs> so that's so 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 that's that's what I did. Like I didn't come back until like an hour or so. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch the highlights on NBC because maybe I missed something in the game. Right. I, I went to NBC. They showed the first half highlights. The first highlight in the second half they showed, I think, was in the 78th minute. So, <laughs> like, it skipped the first half hour of the second half because basically nothing happened for either side. So I was like, no, it was good that I just went and I don't know what I was doing, just typing or Googling or whatever I was up to. But I just I just didn't watch it. But, you know, just... having seen that, having seen that, uh, the uh, the Pawn Stars thing with Pulisic. It's definitely at least the Chelsea <laughs> Wolves game was not the worst Chelsea related content. <laughs> I, I, I think there's several parts. I only saw the first part where he was like, he plays in central midfield oh and God. central attack. I don't know what he's, he said. Something funny. I was like, huh? Bruh. Like he, he doesn't even play there. <laughs> He's a LeBron James. <laughs> oh my god, man. Like Jesus Christ. Like they, <laughs> I was just embarrassed, man. Like I was embarrassed. Like, he's maybe Pulisic is maybe like the DeAndre Jordan of like soccer right now. But, like, LeBron James. He said he's, he's a LeBron James of soccer. <laughs> This man, I oh, oh man. any anything to get money, they'll say it. But damn, like yeah, that's that's cool. But if you're gonna pay like five hundred dollars or whatever for a signed pool security, the least you do. Do we know how much he sold that thing for to the pawn shop? I actually went. I was so intrigued that I searched up the full video, and um, I I saw that. So he wanted fifteen hundred dollars for it. Uh, <laughs> he and and the the pawn star dude, he got his man. Who was like authenticating his signature and like saying like what do you think it's worth? 
they were like, I don't think this is worth $400. So they ended up not selling it. <laughs> like wow. 400 versus 1500 I got to say, that actually made me want to watch Pawn Stars. Because, like, I want to see, like, what other Americans are, like, saying Weston McKenney is the Xavi Hernandez. Or, like, Weston McKenney is, like, the Tom Brady of football or something. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I, just, I, I saw the first part. I was like, oh, God, this isn't good. Whenever I hear soccer in reference to football, I'm like I, we're already starting off on the bad on, 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 on the wrong foot, and then the LeBron James of it, damn, who is LeBron James? It's Messi, right? Yeah, I think probably Messi. I feel like Kyrie might be the Neymar of. Oh, uh, oh, I've I've made that comparison on this podcast. Yeah, all the time. I've <laughs> their their career path mirrors each other so similarly; yeah. it's almost scary. Uh, yeah, it's hard for me to make comparisons. I mean, I think maybe Giannis is the Mbappe, but it's it's so hard to be honest. I'll probably embarrass myself if I keep on trying to pick out like these references and stuff. Yeah. Who do you think would be the AD of football? Anthony Davis of football is yeah. so he has to be somebody who went to a team that had a guy and that put them over the top, right? Like maybe Grealish? I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to think. It's just so hard, man. It's, it's so hard to pick out these references. I don't know. I'm thinking like you know when Thierry Henry went to Barcelona or something mm, like that. I'm, I'm thinking those one. kinds of moves. Yeah. That happened to where like oh that's 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 almost not fair. Henry literally needed to leave Arsenal to get a Champions League. Right, that's and like and AD needed to leave the Pelicans in order to win right. the chip. So I'm thinking like a move like that would make sense, but. I don't. Exactly. I can't. I, I can't think of a contemporary example. But basketball and football, like maybe there, there's some similarities, but it's not one to one. Exactly. It's so hard. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Lewa. I don't know. Maybe because he needed to leave Dortmund to yeah. to win a chip. But I don't think AD's been as good for, yeah. for the Lakers as Lewandowski's been for Bayern. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's 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 get off that train. <laughs> <laughs> that's, for another, that's for another podcast. Yes. Yes. I was gonna ask you though. Yeah. What is your perception on Thomas Tuchel's tactics? Thomas Tuchel, um, I think he's definitely bought himself enough credit with what he's done over the past year or so. There definitely is some criticism with it. I think it's it's very hard to blame Tuchel, um, given just how many players Chelsea have out. But in terms of my biggest criticisms, the attacking balance and improving attacking players, that's, that's one of my biggest qualms with him. Um, I think he's improved Mason Mount, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure how many other attacking players he's necessarily improved. And I think part of that also is just um, this Chelsea team have not been as dangerous on the counter as previous years. You know, that's just my opinion. I think that part of that is due to personnel. I'm not sure if Ziyech or or like even Havertz are, are the right guys to play a counter-attacking system. But also part of that is the lack of a traditional defensive midfielder, you know, who can win possession, who can who can launch counter-attacks, uh, and who can stay back. You know, I think that that's part of the reason why, um, in my opinion, Tuchel has not been able to really institute an effective countering system. With regards to the Wolves game, you know, it's a bit hard to criticize them because, I mean, yes, Chelsea should be beating Wolves, at the same time, who who is he going to change for? You know, right? And and it's like, are you going to put on Barkley? Are you going to put on a guy like, you know, it, that's been his biggest issue for me. The that attacking balance, as well as just finding a system that fits 
that fits these attackers, that fits uh, Lukaku, of course. Putting him in kind of a static role and kind of holding up the ball. We saw that didn't work at Manchester United. He needs to be really running the channels. He needs to be almost playing off someone. He can't be just in kind of a static role. So If Roberto Martinez can figure this out. Right, exactly. I'm kind of annoyed that Tuchel can't figure this out. Especially when you had Conte in the media telling you, you're not using him right. You need to use him yeah. XYZ. You're using him like ABC. It's frustrating. Exactly. But I mean, with that being said, Tuchel is far away from, from getting into crisis mode, I think. Yes, uh, he does need to take blame for certain things. I would say, you know, his usage of Lukaku, uh, his, his treatment of uh, Hudson-Odoi, you know, there, there's definitely a lot of stuff. But um, with that being said, I think he's definitely bought himself enough credit to last for another season. Oh, yeah. A Champions League gets you considerable grace. Yeah. Unless and, you're Roberto Di Matteo. But I think Tuchel is not just a short-term guy. I mean, he's, he's worth dedicating your trust to and building a long-term plan. I mean, the fact is, imagine how good this team would be with, like, a solid ball-winning midfielder like Declan Rice or Aurelien Chouameni, uh, you know, or, or some other, some better attackers, you know? You see, I asked because yeah. I wonder, what, what what is your perception just generally? We don't have to talk about Chelsea necessarily, right. but you can use them as an example if you want. Of right. back three, I call them back fives. I don't, I don't like when people call them back threes because the wingbacks yeah. are defenders. So back fives versus a back four. I mean, every system has its has its drawbacks and advantages. With that being said, I think that it's it's also worth noting that, for example, Reese James, you know, has as often kind of filled into that midfield role, despite being played as a right wing back. You know, he's he's almost uh, shifted into that. So I think that that in part uh, can help to to compensate for lack of numbers in the center of the pitch. But yeah, I think I think it's definitely worth pointing that out that a back three will have its disadvantages. At the same time, I think that Chelsea squad right now it's it's probably best off with a back three playing playing back three, especially with Chilwell out. I don't oh, really trust Marcus Alonso, yeah. but I definitely don't trust him <laughs> in a back four. You know, he, uh, yeah, could, a, he could maybe yeah. do some damage as a wing back. Definitely not. Though. I, so, hear you, I hear you. Do you know, like I, I put out this tweet and people kind of got on me. Sometimes I'll tweet something, right? And then I just I won't go on Twitter for a while. And I'm, I'm you probably get this when you tweet anything because of how <laughs> many how many followers you have. But you'll understand what I mean. Like I'll put out something and I'll come back and there'll be like the twenty plus notification. Yeah. And I'm like, what the f- did I say? What what did I say? What the, I I didn't okay. mean anything. I don't even need to tap the thing. I just know people are pissed at me. So I tapped the thing. I put something to the effect of like, it was, it was a quote retweet. Somebody had said, Tuchel coached a 4-0 win over Everton. And it had these chances that were created, right? Mm-hmm. And Reese James was on the end of one. Rudiger created another one that Mount missed, like right in front of uh, Pickford. Mm-hmm. I was like, so his coaching, I don't know if I put it in quotations, but it, the wording in my head was in quotations, but maybe I didn't put it. But I was like, so he's made wingback strikers and center backs playmakers. Is that really what you want? <laughs> yeah. And I just I just let it go. And I didn't think too much of it. But then, you know, you come back 20 plus. I'm like, oh, Jesus. And there's, you know, anybody can talk yeah. about football. What do you know about football? Da, da, da. There's like, oh, for, for, for Liverpool, the wingbacks or the fullbacks, they create chances in this, this, that, and the third. You know, Cancelo and Robertson and Trent are my mentions. But, and I'm thinking they aren't the 
executioners of the chances most yeah. frequently if you're looking at Manchester City and if you're looking at Liverpool. Yeah, Trent will score his like the crazy goal he had in midweek or uh, Robertson will score a goal maybe like he did uh, yesterday. But primarily the, the executioners of the chances are Salah, Mane, Firmino, Origi, Jota, those players. The, the system allows Trent and Robertson to create and to be involved, but they aren't the executioners of the chances. For Chelsea, it feels like oftentimes Chilwell, Alonso, and James are the executioners of the chances that are created. I don't want my wing back to function as a striker or be in those positions. I want you to may- maybe be in around the box and feed a Mount, feed a Ziyech, feed a Lukaku, feed... I was going to say feed Werner, but we know how that'll end. But, you know, feeds like somebody who's... It's their job to put the ball in the back of the net. Liverpool don't operate that way. So when people were in my mentions telling me, you don't know nothing about football, Liverpool do this, I'm like, ah! I think you have your wires fixed or wires crossed in a sense. Like, I'm, I think I'm right. I don't want my wing back to be a striker. I want my wing back yeah. to be a wing back. And I want my striker to be the striker. You know, you're probably right. If you look at the personnel and just what he has available, anybody do anything and hopefully it'll work and we get the points. If not, look what I'm working with. But yeah. in an ideal world, I don't want Reese James shooting three, four times in the box. I want him crossing that to Lukaku, to Averna, to right. Hudson Adoy. Anybody whose job it is to score no yeah Reese James had a fantastic uh, chance in the first half I think early on maybe like a six minute or something that he should have scored but yeah I mean you mentioned it you in an ideal world your strikers and wingers are going to be your best shooters so you want them getting into those positions now of course if you got a guy like Timo Werner who <laughs> I, I maybe I shouldn't talk about him but the way you yeah. said his name was enough <laughs> like <laughs> Whatever. You know what I mean? But <laughs> I, I mean, it's just like, it, it's, it's tough. But I do think that Chelsea's attacking signings post Eden Hazard, really none of them have been successes uh, in, in my opinion. Yes, Kai Havertz did score uh, the Champions League winning goal. Yes, Pulisic had a very good form uh, in the bubble. But if you were talking about like bang for your buck, I'm not sure if any signing has done enough to be considered a success if there's any player who i am like the most confident to reach like top level elite uh levels it is romelu lukaku so i do think that tuchel needs to bend his system to get the most time to make sure he's not static but with that being said lukaku also needs to take accountability you know himself he needs to be doing a lot more in terms of pressing he needs to do a lot more in terms of movement Big reason why he won't have as many uh, chances as likes of Werner or Havertz is because of his, you know, often lazy movement. And that's, I think, both an individual failing as well as a systemic failing. Right. The biggest priority that has to be getting the most out of Lukaku. Because if you can get him firing, Chelsea are back in business, in my opinion. That was a long Chelsea discussion. I apologize, (laughs) guys. Um, What would I ask first about this game? Do you think it was a red card, like the Harry Kane challenge on Robertson? Because I'm seeing a lot of people saying he didn't get a red card because he's the captain of the national team. Yeah. I think that was I think it was a bad challenge. If I was a referee, I think I would have given a yellow card. I don't think I give a red card. And that's not because he's Harry Kane. He didn't go in two footers. If he would have gone in with two feet, then yeah, I give him a red. But he had one of his legs kind of tucked. Yeah, he went a bit high and it was late. 
but it was it was a striker's challenge, you know, like uh, yeah. again, again, it's not a, a striker's job to be making slide tackles. I don't need you doing that, Harry. If he would have got a red card, I would okay, I see how, but I'm not mad or I don't think it's a conspiracy that that it wasn't red. So, do you think it should have been? For me, Andrew Robertson's challenge was a red card. And so was Harry Kane's. Um, I think I would even say that, honestly, I think that Kane's challenge, uh, you know, to my viewing, it looked worse than Robertson's. Um, And I mean, yeah, I mean, like, look, he's he's closing Robertson down, uh, you know, trying to win the ball back. And I don't think he wins the ball at all. I think that he the only time where he even got the ball was like his hand, uh, if I remember correctly. I mean. Like, so he's going in, he's going in studs up, you know, trying to get the ball. And the crazy thing is, you know, if Robertson doesn't jump, if he just keeps his feet planted, then I think that's probably a red card. But at the same time, Robertson would probably be in the hospital. No, he'd have a broken leg for sure. He'd have a broken leg. Yeah. So I thought that was just absolutely ridiculous. And I can totally see why Liverpool fans are and, and neutrals are saying that, you know, if, if Kane was not English or if he wasn't England's captain, then he would have had a red card. You know, I, I definitely see that. Well, yeah. Do you remember when Aaron Ramsey broke his leg? Right. With and Ryan I, yeah. I, I think it was something along the lines of at first the referee was going to give a yellow, but then he saw that Ramsey's leg was broken. And he mm-hmm. changed it from yellow to red. I think that might have been the Ramsey one. If it wasn't, you know, somebody yeah. out there will, will know the example that I'm talking about. I do think the consequence of what happened should inform the decision. That Robertson wasn't gravely injured probably yeah. does inform my conclusion that yeah, it was bad, but it wasn't that bad. But if you say right. if his if his if, if his studs would have been planted into the ground and the force that Kane was coming with meets that leg his legs not long for this earth in that way you know so of course that would be red but it wasn't so like kane kind of gets away with it at the same time with regards to the was it a red was it a yellow i mean part of the logic behind giving out red cards is you want to set a precedent a precedent and you also want to uh, discourage those same players from making those those challenges kane knows that he got away with it He'll probably try to do the same thing a few games down the line. And, you know, if, if another player who is not as quick thinking as Robertson does not, you know, jump up, then maybe, you know, maybe he gets his leg broken, you know. So I, I do think that both teams should have ended with, with red cards, you know. Okay, Robertson's challenge on Emerson, was it malicious? Absolutely. Was it red card worthy? For me, it was. But... I don't know, maybe it's just me, but did it look as dangerous to you as Kane's challenge? Because for me, I like I'm thinking I'm I'm rewatching both of them and I'm thinking like, man, if Robertson had just left his legs planted, he would have his leg broken. Emerson, on the other hand, I mean, okay, it's a bit of the same thing because I'm pretty sure that uh his his foot was slightly in the air when Robertson made that challenge. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like I think the worst you're gonna get is like somewhat of a bruise. Do you wanna I know what it is? Robertson's what? tackle on Emerson, it doesn't look like football. Right, exactly. It, it 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 looks like two dudes in a club and one just decides, hey, I'm just gonna yeah. kick the shit out of this guy. Harry, Harry Kane's challenge is reckless, but within the context of what appears to be football. And in well, that sense, he it, 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 it might be reduced. The 1990s, though. I think it's true. You know, 
True, but I and and I think the Premier League has like a, an, an initiative of where they don't want as many yellow cards this season. I don't know if you remember that from the beginning of the year, but maybe that plays a, a hand. But it looks like football at least. It just looks like oh, that's a really bad tackle. Robertson is looking like did he mean to kick this dude? Like it looks it it doesn't look natural. But anyway, t- the the game itself was actually pretty good. Deli Ali missed a chance uh, that would have been two nil. Uh, Sun missed a chance that would have made it too. Now, like Spurs created a lot of chances. I wonder, and maybe this can transition us into the Serie A matches we watched if we did. Do you think if Liverpool played like that against Inter in the Champions League? Yes. Because I'm seeing a lot of people saying it's going to be tough, but Liverpool are going to advance. If they play like that against Inter, I'm not so sure. Yeah, and Inter are, are rolling in form. I mean, they will be without uh, Nicolo Barella for what I think... The first leg. At least the first leg, maybe the second leg. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, Inter are, are picking up form. They're really clicking under Simone Inzaghi. And you do have to uh, take into account that Liverpool were not just missing Virgil van Dijk, but also pretty much missing their entire midfield. Um, so so that's, that's definitely part of it. But I, I definitely don't think it's going to be uh, like a cakewalk for Liverpool, mm-hmm. you know, Inter this Inter side have been lethal under Inzaghi. They're you know as as Mourinho has pointed out, they are really a step ahead of of everybody in Syria. Um, so yeah, I, I think that absolutely, if Liverpool play like that, you know, they'll definitely have some problems uh, going up against Inter. But I do expect them to get back into better form and with especially with players such as Van Dijk uh coming back. Um I, I think that definitely there is a lot of there there's there's I think Liverpool are definitely gonna be a tougher team going forward. But mm. yeah, it was a it was a very fun game, I think. Um and Dele Ali, you mentioned it had a few big chances. I thought it did okay given the context. And uh, Liverpool as well, doing doing fairly well, going up against a Tottenham side that what had like two weeks of rest, and you know going up against Liverpool team that had a lot of absences. I think that a point is decent for Liverpool, especially given the red card. Where do I want to go? Serie A table is quite tight, so I'm, I'm going to ask you this. Yeah. Do you think Juventus make top four? Currently seventh in the league, but just six points behind Atalanta. It's a logjam up there, is what I'm saying. It so is like... a logjam, yeah. No, it, it absolutely is a logjam. I mean, you've got Atalanta, Roma, Fiorentina with Vlaovic in this form. Um, I I think that Juventus, um, for me, I think part of it depends on what happens in the January window because, like, yes, they have a decent amount of depth, you know, looking at their starting XI, it just isn't that. It isn't that potent. It's not very good. And so I think that Juventus, this this Juve side, there's really, there's just so many flaws in this team. Um, looking at the midfield positions, the fullback positions, the attack, goalkeeper. You know, it's just not the <laughs> Juventus side of the past ten years. No, so uh, I think I think they. I, I think they are going to miss out on top four, barely. Um, obviously, we'll see what happens. Still a very long season. But Milan, you know, you know, both Milan and Napoli are definitely struggling from injuries. Uh, mm. And and I think that 
that's that's definitely going to play a big role in that. You know, I could see Napoli, you know, losing to Empoli just just a week prior, beating Milan. Milan have looked very poor as well. So there's definitely that potential for Juventus to, I think, sneak in there. But uh, like I said, they just have not impressed me that much. Um, you know, I think just just like a few weeks, a few days ago, they just drew to Venezia. Um, so it's going to be a logjam. And I think that top four is going would be a successful season for Juventus, which just shows you how, how much the standards have dropped. Um, <laughs> look, it's just... The, the it guys, was, they, no, 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 bro. They hired Pirlo. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like that's 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 a mistake. Exactly. That's a exactly. mistake. Yeah. Just 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 quick because we have maybe like 10, 15 minutes. So I I, I, yeah. I do want to get to La Liga. We go chronological, <laughs> I think. Barcelona three, Elche two. Now, last week I asked Carl to read the names of the goal scorers for Barcelona, and we didn't know who these dudes were. But now yeah. that I'm with you, I'm gonna assume, seeing that you have like tangential, weak, albeit ties to Barcelona, and that you run a website that you know most of these guys anyway. Um, who are these dudes that are playing for <laughs> Barcelona? Like these young kids? I guess is is it Xavi and kids is what we're up to? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Gavi is definitely one of them who's been. Probably the biggest shining light in this Barcelona team this season. But yeah, Nicolas Gonzalez, I think, also got on the score sheet against Elche. So yeah, it's, it's definitely been nice to, to take a look at some of these guys. Abde impressed me against Espanyol. Like I said, I really have not been keeping up with Barcelona as much as I have in recent years. But uh, you have to, I think, you know, leaning on young guys when you're in a moment like Barcelona is, is definitely important. Ronald Araujo, I think, is is one one of those players for me. Uh, already Barcelona's best defender. I think there's definitely a lot of positives. Obviously, this is a a terrible season for Barcelona, but the the fact that they are playing so many of these young kids, I think, is definitely a positive. And uh, Gavi, I think, is is one player who is going to be a starter for a while. Do you think they make top four? Hmm. It's tricky. <laughs> if they can get Ferran Torres in in January, honestly, you know, I I think that would be a really interesting move. I don't know if he'd be my number one priority, but he's a good player. He's shown that both in Valencia and Manchester City, and I definitely think he could add some dynamism uh, to this Barcelona side. Sure. Um, so if, if they get Torres and Cavani, Torres and Cavani, yeah, that's Torres, firepower. Potential front front three of you know Torres, uh, Cavani, Fati, throwing even Memphis there. You know there's a lot of potential there. Um, so depending on the January wind moves, I think they could definitely do it. Sevilla, Sevilla, Atletico. I was I was checking out the game. Sevilla, you know, coming off and it's been an interesting for them. Uh, you know, beating like Sevilla Real and Athletic Club, but also failing to progress to the Champions League round of sixteen. And then, yeah, going up against an Atletico Madrid side who I think have lost, what, three La Liga games for the first time under Diego Simeone, three straight. Um, and, yeah, an Atletico side that have that, that look fairly weak defensively, once again, looking at some some big absences such as Stefan Savic, such as Josema Jimenez. Um, 
and yeah, losing to Sevilla. Um, I think that yeah, I mean, looking at the Sevilla side, I said before, I said I said going into the season that that they'd be a big threat, that they could be expected to challenge for the title. Haven't quite done that because Real Madrid have been so lethal, but still a lot of time left. And uh, they looked they looked fairly good in in this game. That midfield trio of Jules uh, of of Jean Jordan, uh, Tomas Delaney, and Ivan Rakitic definitely doing well in terms of moving the chains and and staying balanced. We saw Kunde Jules Kunde kind of move to right back. Actually, one thing that I that I will say I know that Chelsea fans <laughs> are are definitely definitely a lot of them like Jules Kunde. And I think that one thing that was that I was actually really impressed with was later on, you know, Kunde moving forward in the right back position and you know going up against likes of uh, Mario Hermoso and and going forward. I think that's something that I you know I personally had not seen much of, uh, and we saw that in the Euros where he was played out of position at right back. Ugh. Thinking, you know, is this guy capable of, of doing? <laughs> he actually did fairly well. Um, basically being moved into into the right back position after Montiel's injury. Um, yeah, I, I was fairly impressed with him going forward. For me, he's been the best center back in La Liga this season, alongside Eder Militao. And uh, I, I'm very glad that he hasn't just sulked. Um, after after missing out on his big move to to Chelsea, and if he continues at this rate, he's going to get another big move this summer. Okay, Kadith. Do they play football or <laughs> are, are they just out there? Bro, there was a stat I saw after the game. Yeah. They completed less than 100 passes in 90 minutes. Do you know how hard that is to do? <laughs> to average less than one pass a minute in a in a whole game. And it's and I always add this in there. There's probably two minutes of added time in, in the first half. There was five minutes, I remember, of added time. So in 97 minutes... These guys completed, I think, 97 or 98 passes. That's hard to do. Yeah. And and Madrid, I think they had 36 shots on target. No, 36 shots, nine of which on target. Yeah. And they just couldn't score. I've been seeing my guy Hazard getting blamed. <laughs> you know, it's Hazard's fault. This, da, 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 da. He's a scapegoat. We get it. But, you know, generally speaking, like, the first half he wasn't great. Second half he was, he was pretty good. But, yeah, what is the point of Cadiz? Like, you know, I asked that, but then I think – Games against Barcelona, games against Madrid. In the past two seasons, I think they've gotten points in all but one of them. Right. It's a tactic that clearly works. Just put every, as Half Hope would say, put every man, woman, and child, baby behind the ball in front of your goal and just hopefully, you know, the sand in the hourglass drains. There was another game at halftime. I was like, you know what? I might just, I might just give up. But I didn't. I watched because Hazard. Oh, oh, by the way, did you know the last time Eden Hazard played or completed a game from beginning whistle to end whistle mm. November 23rd 2019 whoa what a throwback <laughs> that's yeah. over it i think i calculated it's 108 weeks jesus christ so that's over 2 years like it's going to be 2022 in like a week yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and the last time he completed ninety minutes for Real Madrid, I should say, because he completed ninety minutes for Belgium. But and, and this is according to transfer marked, so I had to go back into the into the archives and look. But uh, yeah, it's over two years ago since the last time he completed a full match. That's yeah. that's that's why I stayed. 
Madrid dropped two points, they're still gonna win the league, but it was not a fun game to watch. Unless you just I, like watching yeah. unstoppable force meets immovable objects. <laughs> yeah. No, I actually thought that Ozard picks it up and did fairly well in the second half. Oh, uh, you watched the game? Me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched okay. I watched the game today. But I think that um well he was, you know, stepping up in the second half and you know had some had some good movements, had some good um plays. Still think, you know, he's still even even on his best, he's still nowhere near uh mm-hmm. started, nowhere near the money. You know, been an absolute disappointment for Real Madrid. And I think that you know, as soon as they can get anybody who's willing to take on his salary or to, to just to just cut the court on him, you've gotta do it. London Blues, London Blues, find the money. (laughs) You guys have no players to buy it. Get him back, bring him back, bring him back. I think that just shows you how disappointing, like, Severner and Pulisic and co. have been. That you guys sounds like a decent idea. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) How do I put this? It's sad watching him because I I know that feeling in the sense of not not that I was ever a great footballer. I used to play basketball, not at any great level, but I turned my ankle. I had like so many ankle problems. It's it's insane. There's sometimes I want to go play and I will play, but I don't trust my body in the same way I did 10 years ago. So there's moves or rebounds that I could go for, shots that I would make, fadeaways that I would do, things that, <laughs> things of that sort that I just won't try because I know that if I I'm going to twist my ankle. It's just part of the thing. You can put braces, tie your shoes as tight as you want to. Something bad's going to happen to my right ankle. It's happened just my whole life. And I can see it in Eden that I could go past this guy, but I don't trust my hamstring to hold up. I could go past this guy. I could make a dribble and try to get past two people. But what happens if he steps on my ankle? I can see him thinking his way through the game when at Chelsea, it was just all instinctual and natural and he didn't have to worry necessarily. Like he would take the fouls, you know, the Dwayne Wade thing where it was like, get knocked down seven times, get up eight. That was Eden Hazard at Chelsea. But now I can see him thinking through, like, I don't know if I want to do that. I'll just pass it to the fullback or make the simple pass inside to Kroos or whoever it is. He's not that guy because he doesn't – I don't think he trusts his body. And I understand why, but it's just – it's sad to watch just like a shell of what was. Absolutely, yeah. That confidence is is one hundred percent part of. But that. maybe, maybe, maybe he could get it back if Carlo believes in him and he keeps giving him minutes. You you saw the flashes of like the the flicks to Vinny or Benzema or when he was playing one two with Mendy and stuff like that. Like you can see it, but it's right. not it's not hitting the same as it was. And I I don't think it can. I think he turns thirty one next month. Yeah. <sighs> That, I, that. Shouldn't, I shouldn't have brought that up. I'm sad now. <laughs> um, let's do some questions. Jax365, is the absence of the government allowing the Premier League to put profit before player safety? Yes. Yeah, I do when not. Boris Johnson is your prime minister. Bro. <laughs> no. Yeah, I would I would assume so. I mean, I, I do not follow uh, British politics that much, but it is, it is funny to me, just randomly, it's funny to me that... Kind of the final straw for for so many people. It seems like uh, is a Christmas party and like. <laughs> just, Bro, no, 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 no. Like I've I've been seeing tweets yeah. of people who like they took the last ever picture of their parent from like yeah. inside the house or inside the hospital. 
right. because they, they weren't allowed to go see their parents who were of older age and their parents unfortunately passed. And then they juxtaposed that with all these dudes, close contact Christmas party at basically the same time. So like you, you can understand how it's just like, there's one rule for these guys, one rule for us, like screw all of you guys, basically. Yeah, no, it does make sense. For sure. Um, what his- This is a good question. What historic football team would make an excellent last dance documentary? Ooh, man, that's a great question, honestly. And this is a really tough question. I think, <laughs> you, know, you know what team I would actually like to see a lot of uh, a, a like a last dance documentary? Because it is sort of like, I guess it's sort of similar in just like the, the fear, the principle of like what last dance, what that means. You know what I mean? The 2004 Porto side, you know, that, that one. Oh, uh, that's a great answer. That won, that won the Champions League, you know, and obviously I'm biased because I'm a big Portuguese fan, but uh, I think that would be. No, a, that's a great answer, man. Yeah. Because, I mean, looking at after that season, I mean, you saw Mourinho leave, Jacko, Ricardo Carvajal, you know, all these great players leave. So it really was, I mean, coming into, you know, after a season where where they won the treble, right? Winning the Primera and winning the UEFA Cup, seeing if these guys could pull it off. And I mean, I definitely think that uh, it would be an interesting last dance kind of thing. Benny McCarthy and Deco, you know, so many quality players. And I would love to see that 2003-2004 Porto side. Okay, I was thinking selfishly, Chelsea 2012. <laughs> <laughs> Champions League, like the drug ball walk-off. That'd be nice. If you want like a sad ending, you can maybe go for like Zidane 2006 and like how he comes back from retirement, kind of like how Jordan did right. to save France and then, you know, headbutts Matarazzi. <laughs> um, if you just want stars, maybe you could go for like, I don't, I don't know how you would do this though. 2014 Atletico, because you mm. got like Diego Costa, who's, you know, like, trying to rush his way back to the Champions League final. You've got, like, Lord remember when with the Courtois-Atletico-Chelsea incident. You know, I think uh, that would be cool. If you want to go old school, you mean, like, 70s Brazil, 1970 Brazil, like, Pele's yeah. last last go. But, again, I don't know how you do that one because, like, some of the players might not be there or alive or whatever the case may be, so I don't know how you do that one. But And that one should have already been done if it was going to be done. Um, but, no, I think your answer is the best one. I think it makes a lot of sense. And and you get like the star power, the box officeness of Jose Mourinho. So he's like the driving force. What percentage of a player's legacy would you guys say is longevity? That's a good question as well. I think probably like 20 to 30%. I mean, longevity is definitely important, but it's not the only thing. A guy like Ronaldinho, who could have been like probably a top five player of all time. Um, <gasps> you know, he's... What that would be a great answer for the yeah. last dance. O two to 06 Brazil. Yeah, that 06 Brazil team that lost to France. Bro, that would be a bro. I, yeah. I didn't even think of them because I thought Zidane 06. Yeah. But the way that he ruined them in 06, and to see the aftermath, if they had like dressing room footage of what just that guy's 36 or 34. How is he doing that to us? And then it's just over, basically. Ronaldinho was 26 he was at the peak of his powers and then he didn't go back to another world cup because dunga right damn okay anyway, i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry yeah i would say like 20 to 30 percent probably 20 to 30 percent all right if the players association were to impose a player appearance from gallon six nine limit a player appearance limit or minutes limit 
in response to FIFA and UEFA being greedy, what do you think it should be? My vote would be 50, 50 matches or 4,500 minutes. Do you think that's a good idea? That you can only play a certain amount of games in a calendar year or a season? Mm. 50 games, fine. Because I, I guess maybe this yeah. is like to avoid like situations like Pedri. Right. That's actually, it's not a terrible idea. Um, I don't think it would ever happen, but there definitely needs to be some action being drawn. It seems like football is going in the opposite direction, you know, trying to get World Cups every two years and adding all these crazy competitions. But, like, that would be, like, an interesting idea to definitely consider because there needs to be some action with regards to player con- with regards to fixture congestion and player fatigue. Um, For sure. We've passed the breaking point there. Yeah. Lastly, and we kind of got into this one, so... How is this latest wave ravaging the Premier League so thoroughly? We're not doctors, bro. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and does the FA owe its allegiance to the players and protecting their health or protecting the broadcast bag? If you ask me, Socialist Daniel and all that, like you're, you, their, their allegiance should be to the players, full stop. But then if you ask like the other side of my mind, that's like capitalism exists. Like, of course, they're, they're going to be beholden to Sky, NBC, ESPN, whoever they're giving money to to broadcast games. You think they're going to let like this is probably the time of the year where they make their most money. This Christmas fixture holiday because you're playing this week, this this Sunday, Boxing Day. There's, there's always a game on the 28th, New Year's Day. There's like four or five games in 10 days. That's a lot of money. They're not just going to give that up. So, of course, they're going to protect the bag if they can. I think they said if you have 14 or 15 fit players, you got to play. Look, all, all I'll say is, you know, Premier League, is as long as they allow, you know, as long as their players continue to lag behind other players in terms of vaccination rates, this thing's mm-hmm. going to keep on going on. So, ball's in their court. <laughs> Get your booster, everybody. Your Zach, I appreciate you coming on, man. It was like an anticipated thing, at least for me, because like I've I've been wanting to talk to you about football for a minute. So it's always <laughs> great to have you on. So I, it sucks that the other guys couldn't come through, but you know, sickness and other things. So, but no, it was nice. It was nice. So I appreciate it, man. Definitely. Hopefully, I'll come on again soon. We can oh have- no, of course, of course, man. Open invitations. So yeah, where where can people find you one last time? Find me on Zach Lowy, Z A C H L W Y, on Twitter, and yeah, on BTL Vid. Um, on Twitter as well. Indeed. All, all the links are going to be in the description, so go check them out, man. Did, is there any, like, story that's coming out this week that you know? Uh, yeah, some articles coming up soon on Breaking Lines, so definitely check that out. As well as uh, I just wrote my top 10 breakthrough stars of 2021, so uh, definitely check that out as well. All right. So, yeah, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Talking Tactics, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. If you're listening on Spotify, give us a follow. Apple Podcast, subscribe. It's free. If you're on Patreon, $3 a month. Check us out. This has been the Talking Tactics Podcast. Sometimes funny, sometimes serious. Always football. See you guys next week. Peace, peace, peace. Peace out. Sports Social Podcast Network.